0: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And on today's podcast, we're going to talk about a term that has only been around for a few years and it is drunkorexia.
1: Yeah, and it's appeared in a lot of trend stories about not only eating disorders, but like college students in particular particularly those college students who are choosing to drink their calories rather than eat their calories. And I'm just going to start off by saying that the two are not equivalent. You are not getting any nutrients
0: from that Bud Light, I can just assure you. That is very true. Now, Caroline, before we get into this podcast on drunkorexia, I just want to offer a trigger warning here that we are going to be talking about eating disorders and behaviors associated with eating disorders. So for those of you who might be sensitive to those topics, just a warning of what is ahead. The term drunkorexia first popped up in 2008, mostly in celebrity blogs that were referencing ultra-thin celebrities, usually women, obviously, who appear to subsist on alcohol and cigarettes. But now it's popping up, portraying a trend, particularly among college girls, although this is something that guys are doing as well. And it is not a medically accepted term, and you could lump it, though, together with things like manorexia. Orthorexia, which is the obsession with healthy food that can actually become unhealthy, or pregorexia, when pregnant women will starve themselves in an attempt to not look pregnant, and drunkorexia, though even though um, it's a new term. It's an old habit. There, there's really nothing new about the idea of people cutting back on food so that they can supposedly drink more and not gain the weight. And over at Jezebel, Lindy West brushed it off as kind of pointless because she was like, wait, aren't we just calling anorexia by a different name? But the reason, one of the reasons though I wanted to talk about it is because even though, yeah, drunkorexia might be very headline grabby and yes, it can be a different name for a type of eating disorder because it is so attention grabbing. I feel like it could serve a useful purpose because it is highlighting a disordered behavior that I don't feel like has gotten as much media attention before.
1: Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people online I read about, you know, argue that it's really not that big of a deal. Like it, you should be cutting back on calories if you're going to be drinking a lot, but we're not really talking about you know eating healthy all the time, right? And then drinking in moderation when you're out socially. No, I mean we're we're talking about an issue of, you know, maybe you're unhappy with your body, you know, maybe you're taking steps that are completely unhealthy, or maybe you're just you know completely cutting out the day that you decide you want to go out and party at night.
0: Right, because it's often associated with binge drinking in particular. And I do want to note, though, before we go on, that I am—I don't want to say that I'm a fan of the term drunkorexia. I understand that there are uh, certain pitfalls to it in terms of maybe uh, jazzing up what would otherwise just be called anorexia. But I, I do think it's useful as opposed to something like manorexia, mm-hmm. where... Those are the exact same symptoms as anorexia. You're just calling it a funny name because guys are doing something that girls used to just do. But with drunkorexia, it's not that these people aren't eating all the time, it's more the connection of not eating so that they can drink, at least when it comes to these trend stories about what's going on on college campuses. For instance, there was a 2008 ABC News story which quoted a female sorority member who talked about how drunkorexia is encouraged in her Greek system, and it was no big deal. If there was a social coming up, the girls in her house, and I'm not saying that this is going on at all sorority Everywhere. This is just an example from one ABC News story taken at one sorority house. But she said that, you know, it was assumed that you were going to eat maybe just a salad or something very small, if anything Mm -hmm. at all, so that you could have all the schnapps you wanted. Right.
1: This young woman talked about how it was basically a support system among her sisters that they would trade methods for skipping meals, like working out late at night instead of eating having just one medium meal during the day, which, I mean, I would lose my freaking mind. Um, and in some cases, throwing up before going out. And they quoted her as saying, I've done drunkorexia for years, and I'm still healthy, and I'm skinny, she said. That's the best of both worlds to me, so it's not likely that I'll stop doing it anytime soon. And I just, I want to shake her and then transition it into a hug, you know, like shake, hug, hug, shake, um, because... Like that, it's just not healthy. You're doing something so terrible to your body when you're substituting alcohol.
0: But I can understand though from thinking back to my 18, 19, 20 year old perspective where you see two things that are lauded on campus culture. Right. If you're a female. Being fun party girl and being thin girl you mm-hmm. know and and that way like I I totally understand her twisted logic of saying well it's the best of both worlds I can do all of these things and I don't have to really do it the hard way even though as we'll talk about you're actually putting your body through very hard things by doing this but it's not just girls doing that although the motivations for guys practicing drunkorexia would would you call that practicing drunkorexia male drunkorexics uh their motivations tend to be a little bit more financially motivated and for guys their motivations tend to be a little bit more financial and also wanting to optimize their potential drunkenness
1: Right, yeah, money is definitely a motivator. Uh, this one guy they quoted said, uh, when you consume on an empty stomach, you feel the effect quicker. He said, uh, there was one Friday where I only ate a pint of ice cream all day, knowing I'd be drinking liquor later that night. So like, this, this money issue, like I get it, and I, trust me, I used to live at a bar in college for a period, and dated the bartender because it was just that convenient. Um, Like, I get the whole thing of, like, if I eat less, I will get drunk faster. I remember having that thought. It was never, like, I literally, like, when I'm reading about drunkorexia, I'm like, wow, this logic literally never occurred to me because I love eating so much. Um, But I I do remember having the same thought of, like, well, I can get drunk faster and save
0: money. Uh, So, yeah, that's awful. Yeah, and I'm sure that some listeners are thinking okay, yeah, the eating aspect aside, doesn't this just sound like a lot of rampant drinking problems on the loose? And and yeah, absolutely. There is definitely a substance abuse issue that's tied up with this. And that's why campus abuse counselors are more commonly warning against that drunkorexia combo, trying Mm -hmm. to break this cycle, this logic, I should say, in kids' heads that, A, it's a good thing to get as drunk as possible on an empty stomach, and B, that you, you're, you're striving to be thin and at, at what cost? Any way you cut it, the amount of drinking and the not amount of eating, both of those things are harmful for your bodies, and you put it together, and it's even more harmful.
1: Right, and one study that looked at that combination was a 2011 study out of the University of Missouri-Columbia, which looked at that relationship between alcohol abuse and eating disorders, they found that 16% of the college kids they talked to reported, quote, saving meal calories to spend on drinking. And of those, 16%, three times more women than men admitted to drunkorexic behavior. The National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse echoes this stuff, saying that 50% of individuals with eating disorders Abuse alcohol or drugs compared to only 9% of the general population. And I think it's interesting because, I mean, you know, we've talked about eating disorders a lot and, and the motivations behind it, that it's not just necessarily, I don't want to be fat mm-hmm. when you, when you are suffering from anorexia or bulimia, that there's a lot of like, you know, emotional and mental things that go into it too, as far as like perfectionism, obsessive compulsive disorder. And so, you know, some studies have talked about how perhaps women and men with some type of eating disorder are also binge drinking to maybe calm some of that anxiety that drives them.
0: Yeah, when we really get down to the clinical level, if we get off of college campuses for a minute and get into eating disorder treatment centers that are really looking more into the substance abuse factors, we can see how those two things can be really intertwined. Uh, For instance, there was an article in the New York Times talking about this, and they interviewed Douglas Bunnell, who is the Director of Outpatient Clinical Services for the Renfrew Center based in Philadelphia. And he talked about how there are women who are afraid to put a quote grape in their mouth, but they have no problem drinking a beer. And part of that, like you said, it's a motivation of calming those nerves um, that might be associated with eating disorders. And uh, just to drive home some more statistics The New York Times article also cited a 2003 Columbia University study which found that people with eating disorders are five times more likely to become substance abusers. And on the flip side of that, substance abusers are 11 times more likely to have an eating disorder. So clearly, there is a strong relationship going on between the eating disorders, whether it be anorexia, bulimia, or eating eating disorders not otherwise classified, and substance abuse. Right, and that all jives with a 2007 study from biological
1: psychiatry which found that 25 to 33% of bulimics and 20 to
0: 25% of anorexics do have substance abuse problems. And since this was really highlighted on college campuses, Adam Berry, who is a professor of health, education, and behavior at the University of Florida, published in 2010 the most comprehensive study on drunkorexia. It came out in the Journal of American College Health. And he looked at 22,000 college students at 40 different universities. And he found that controlling for Factors of race, school year, Greek affiliation, and on-campus living. Vigorous exercise and disordered eating uniquely predicted binge drinking. Hmm. So clearly that relationship has been established and for researchers, for substance abuse counselors and eating disorder researchers, now the psychological and neurological links between eating disorders and substance abuse is something that researchers are looking deeper into because they're starting to understand how they put, they, they, they fit so closely together because Food can function addictively in the same way as drugs and alcohol, but for treating someone who is dealing with an extreme eating disorder and with a substance abuse problem, it can be challenging to unravel because with the eating disorder, you're telling them to start consuming something, but to treat the substance abuse that you're telling them to stop consuming something. So it's a challenging set of things to overcome. And um, when it comes to bulimia, for instance, they might be using alcohol to purge. Or for anorexics, they might be drinking to calm anxiety. And so uh, this is one of the, the newer aspects of of these treatment centers. Yeah, a very multifaceted treatment that you have to definitely be careful
1: with. Now, we've talked about a lot of like contributing factors to why it's happening. You know, people wanting to save money and get drunk faster or people wanting to save calories so they'll be thinner, um, maybe soothing social anxiety. And, and, you know, it's all part of a binge drinking culture on campus. But it's also part of a huge, disgusting weight loss industry, like inexcusable diet, alcohol marketing. I can't stand up marketing, Ooh, marketing. It promotes the connection between drinking and and wait, and this was discussed in an article in The Atlantic by Jacoba Uris. Then the theory is that diet alcohol ads encourage teens and college students to engage in this troubling behavior that more and more experts are referring to as drunkorexia. And so it's actually getting more and more... Uh, actual academic attention.
0: Yeah, and for women especially, one researcher referred to these new marketing tactics as like Virginia Slims all over again, because they were saying for years, if you think about beer advertisements, for instance, uh, a lot of times the legacy advertising for that casts women in a more objective light, shall we say. But now, uh, it's like <laughs> marketers are just finally figuring out that, oh wait, women like booze, so but women also want to be slim, so we can open up this whole new market for it. And they usually distinguish between two different types of these uh, diet or Healthy, I don't even want to call it healthy alcohol, where you have the fitness ads, such as something for like, uh, the low calorie beers, where right. it will usually be, and these always make me laugh, cause it's usually s- showing someone who is still sweaty from working out and pounding a beer, which, Ugh. which I'm like, I, 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 if I, I don't, I can't think about alcohol after I finish a jog. Um, but then you also have the more, Straight up diet marketing for things that are a lot of times targeted to women as low cal pre mixed right. options like Bethany Frankel's Skinny Girl cocktail mixes and
1: stuff like that. Exactly. Which,
0: yeah, Jacoba Uris in the Atlantic called out uh, that that brand a lot because it, it. I mean, it is one. She's she's made a, a ton of money off of it. Obviously, um, it's working. And I have had a Skinny Girl margarita, and it was. How was it? It was refreshing. It was acceptable. Yes, I had it right after <laughs> I got
1: I'm done jogging. No, you were running a race and somebody handed a cup out yeah. to you instead of water. It was and a I, skinny girl market. Well, I poured
0: the first one all over my face. <laughs> to, you're like, dang, to I'm cool sticky. Down. Yeah, and then I and then I drank another one to m- make the my cramps go away.
1: <laughs> well, uh, David Jernigan had a really pragmatic attitude about this. He's the director of the Center on Alcohol Marketing and Youth at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. He said, there's no question that the alcohol industry is presenting their goods to women as though they're diet products, because that's
0: what sells. Well, and here's the thing, too. We've talked a lot in this podcast about how, oh, this is something happening on college campuses. These young women, they're being duped into drinking low-cal things. This is not just on college campuses, Caroline. I can speak anecdotally in that Absolutely there is this connection in our brains. I mean, just think about the term beer belly mm-hmm. about how, I mean, obviously if you drink a lot, you are going to gain weight because it's the same thing as if you, if I drink a six pack of Coca Cola mm-hmm. every day, I'll have a Coke belly and I will always smell very syrupy. I sweet. bet it's cute. I don't know. I feel like <laughs> I, would, I would always have burps. Um, but it's not. The idea of drinking on an empty stomach or, like, hello, happy hours. You know, if you leave work and if you stop by a bar before you get to dinner, that can happen. Um, And things like Skinny Girl Margaritas, I don't feel like it's so much marketed to younger girls on campus, but... Women our age, it's not it's mm-hmm. it's not just a college thing, which is the only reason why uh, I find drunkorexia being now spun out into something that's just a phase that college kids will go through because it's I feel like it's far more wide reaching than just that.
1: Yeah, but there there are some serious implications. I mean, we've we've mentioned the health stuff and the eating disorder mm-hmm. stuff. But I mean, you have to think about what you're doing to your body when you're not putting Actual vitamins and minerals, and drinking a mimosa doesn't count. The OJ in it? No? Although, I mean, I guess it's better to drink a mimosa than like just straight gin or something. But! Uh, you know, I mean, we have issues of drinking on an empty stomach, that there's a faster absorption rate of alcohol into the bloodstream, which leads to that higher level of impairment and intoxication, which has some definite health implications. It could actually make you unhealthy, but! It also puts women in particular at higher
0: risk for sexual assault and things like DUI. Yeah, uh, researchers often warn women especially against things like drinking on an empty empty stomach just because we tend to metabolize alcohol faster. A lot of times we have less body fat than men do and so our level of impairment might be even higher. We're at a higher risk of something like blacking out. That can, according to research, uh, there was a 2011 University of Missouri study which highlighted this, which puts us at a higher risk for violence, for engaging in risky sexual behavior alcohol poisoning, and chronic disease later in life. If we're doing this a bunch, we're beating our bodies up on the inside, no matter what our waistline is, because this puts us at high risk of gastritis, ulcers, and malnutrition down the road. And yeah, sure, sometimes... You know, you might n- not eat a big lunch and you might go have a martini after work and that's gonna happen. But it's, it's this whole chronic issue, the, the chronic binge drinking and also motivating yourself to do so, telling yourself it's okay to do that if you did intentionally not eat as much during the day.
1: Right. Well, another study from the Journal of American College Health looked at students at 10 different universities and Of more than 4,000 participants, 39% of students who drank within the past 30 days reported restricting calories on days they planned on drinking. They looked at the gender aspect of it, of these 4,000 participants, and found that women drunkorexics were more likely to experience those negative alcohol-related consequences, such as memory loss and unwanted sexual advances, whereas men who reported this behavior were much more likely to get into fights. Uh Uh-oh.
0: Yeah and there was uh, anecdotally in one article they were talking to a couple of college guys about binge drinking on an empty stomach and the blackout aspect and they weren't happy about it. I mean they still did it. They did had no plans to stop because I mean I I knew guys like this. I was in you know social circles like this when I was in college where it's totally accepted and expected that on the weekend you're going to go crazy. Mm-hmm. And even though so many times it ended up with just not feeling good about yourself. Right. You still did it. And I guess that's the question. It's like, we know we're doing things that are harmful to ourselves why why do we continue doing it and even though again drunkorexia might sound like a throwaway buzzy term Dr. Harris Straitner who is the vice president of the Care and Treatment Centers told Glamour Magazine that he thinks it should get a nod in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual because he said quote in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders we look at different factors that influence other disorders and I think it's time to give this trend a paragraph in the manual. It's a defined of a particular eating disorder. So you might think, oh, well, but you know, Monday through Thursday, I'm eating plenty and I go to the gym. You know, it's just Friday, Friday and Saturday. You know, but still, I feel like that's, you know, it's, uh, if it's happening every weekend, every week, then it's something to, to think about. Yeah, he also pointed out that
1: this chronic behavior, this chronic drunkorexia can deplete your potassium and have such an incredibly bad effect on your heart that it could eventually lead to cardiac arrest. Yeah. I mean, so if you're doing this constantly, even if it is just on the weekend, I mean, if it's every weekend, ah, that's that's it's really, really bad for you. And, I mean, also if you're a student or if you're just a person who sits at a desk and looks at a computer, I mean, it can cause a
0: lot of difficulty concentrating, studying, and making decisions. And we're not trying to be alarmist over this. I just... Think at least for me, reading it, it was a good reminder. Even though I am years away from being in college, it's still a good reminder to think about what we put into our bodies and how how we treat ourselves.
1: Right? Yeah. I uh, <laughs> without getting too personal, this past weekend I accidentally was drunk or exic. Yeah. I uh, you know I went I went out for for cocktails. Didn't you know? it, it had been a while since I'd eaten had a little too much to drink, went home and just fell asleep, didn't eat dinner. And, you know, it's like I felt so much worse the next day than I would have had I just done the normal pattern of like, have a good dinner, go out and have some cocktails, go home, drink some water,
0: and have a good night's sleep. It, right. was, it was awful. It like messed me up for the rest of the weekend. Oh, yeah, and drinking on an empty stomach, too, it's the thing of how it hits you so much faster, or at least it does with me. It's like I'll, I'll have a glass of wine or a cocktail, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden there's no in-between of saying, oh, well, I, I feel a little more relaxed. It's like, oh, no, I I hope I am walking in a straight line. <laughs> Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's just not a good thing to to do to your bodies. But I want to hear, though, about this, because I have a feeling there are probably people in college who are listening who know exactly what we're talking about. And people out of college, too. The whole idea of saving calories for drinking instead of eating. And I don't know, I guess, how do we make sense of all this? What is your experience with it, do you think that it's being overblown? Do you think it's just something that, you know, kids will be kids and do what they want to do on those crazy college campuses? Or is this something that, like Dr. Harris Straitner told Glamour Magazine, that it needs to get more clinical recognition as something that is going on? Let us know your thoughts on Drunkorexia. com is where you can send your emails. You can also message us on Facebook or tweet us at MomStuffPodcast. And we've got a couple of letters to read for you when we get right back from a little break. And now, back to our
1: letters. Kristen, I have a message here from Cody, who was struck by something that was said in our uh, John Rock Inventing Birth Control episode. Cody says, I will buy and then proudly wear a shirt that says, quote, keep Coke on ice and not in your vagina. Thank you ladies for making my drive home pleasant despite the other incompetent drivers. And you are so welcome. And if somebody wants to make us that shirt, I
0: also will wear it. I mean, that's, that's like an epitaph in the making too. <laughs> Carolyn Irvin <laughs> quotes, keep Coke on ice, and not in your vagina. More brilliant words. Never been spoken. Well, I mean, really, like for so
1: many reasons, one of which is just like, I mean, you want a cold Coca-Cola, right? Right. Right.
0: And <laughs> and so many reasons. So many. Well, I've got one here in response to our episode on Plan B, which I mean, I really think that President Barack Obama must listen to stuff mom never told you because the day that our episode on Plan B restrictions, in which we advocated for the White House to remove <laughs> age restrictions. From access to Plan B, Barry said, "Hey, you know what?" Chris and Caroline said, "Take him away. Let's take him away." So so that's um, that's not what actually happened. but I like to think <laughs> it is. But uh, this email, though, is coming from a listener who would like to remain anonymous, and she writes, "I'm a seventeen year old who became sexually active at fourteen, and luckily, I was already on birth control." While I'm very lucky to have understanding parents and a good support network, some of my friends are in more difficult situations. A lot of them do not have easy access to birth control condoms and other products that keep sex safe. However, many of them still have sex. And you are correct in saying kids are going to do what they're going to do. Because currently I have two friends who use a double dose of birth control in the morning and at night the day after they accidentally have unsafe sex as an emergency contraceptive, which is effective but not well regulated. It's very, very important for plan B and other forms of birth control and emergency contraceptives to be readily available for teenage girls. Teens, even young teens, are more sexually active than adults want to accept, and these products would not increase the amount of sex teens have but decrease the rate of unwanted pregnancies and unsafe sex. I also wish that more people would listen to the voices of those, that these changes would affect the most, young teenage girls, when talking about this controversy over Plan B. Unfortunately, many do not value the opinions of women, and especially young girls, so thank you for covering this topic that affects many women and trans men, she notes. So, good news that uh, those restrictions to Plan B have been lifted, the age restrictions. So,
1: I'd also like to credit the uh, moment I shared with Kathleen Sebelius on an airplane from Detroit to Traverse City, Michigan, where we we shared a look. That was probably it. Yeah, she's probably like, oh my God, remember that time that Caroline and I rolled our eyes together at that 16-year-old who was
0: talking loudly on her phone? I need to make Plan B more available to that 16-year-old. She'd really appreciate it. Well, thanks to Kathleen Sebelius (laughs) and Barack Obama and everybody else for listening to this podcast. Uh, (laughs) Mom stuff is at discovery.com. Is where you can send letters or you can message us on Facebook, like us there while you're at it. You can follow us on Twitter at Mom Stuff Podcast and on Tumblr as well at stuff never told And don't forget to not only listen to us but also watch us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with new videos on YouTube. You can head over to youtube.com slash stuff mom never told you. And don't forget to subscribe.